You want 25s? Yeah, it's yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. Oh. My. What's up? Woo! <sighs> I'm done. Sorry, sorry. Hey man, you done with these? Dude, just like 15 more minutes of those and I'll be done. But uh, hey, you got a mess. I remember, you got the maroon shirt. I got you, dog. Yep, thanks. <laughs> hey, I'm done. Oh, All right, dude, actually, hold on. Hold on. Dude, where are you taking that? Saw you here last week, I think. What? Were you here last week working out? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you gonna go grab lunch after? Hey, Dude, last what? week when Jeremy came over to my house, you know my friend Jeremy. Like, got wait, my own yeah, no, cool. I know. Yeah. Just like a quick sandwich though. But no. <laughs> we were playing Mario Kart. We were playing Rainbow Road. Hey, I'm done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna head home. Yeah, I'm pretty tired too. You just got here. What do you want to eat, dude? You know what I'm really craving? What? A double cheeseburger with extra bacon. Dude, we just worked out. Exactly. I think when I had a milkshake too, I deserve it. It's delicious. Protein goes into the mouth and it goes yeah. into the okay. into the muscle. You eat your protein like this, right? Yeah, you do. Yeah, I assumed you did put it inside of your arm. Oh yeah. How many of you saw yourself in one of those? Turn up just a little bit of house lights. Uh, how many of you saw one of your friends? And there you go. All right, lights are coming on. All right, yeah. One of your friends, the person sitting next to you. All right, we'll let you. Uh, We'll let you talk to them and, and tell the, the last 10% the truth, you know, that, that that's not good. Uh, let me just mention this really quickly. I got a uh, text from Tina quick this morning. Timmy has finished all of his treatments. He finished the seventh week, but he is very, very sick still. And so we need to pray for him. I told her that we would pray today. And so um, at the end, we'll, we'll say a prayer for Timmy that, that first of all, that he'll get well quickly, but secondly, that there'll be no more cancer. And we're praising God that he's finished, and he did gain a little bit of weight this last week, but then he lost it because he's having trouble keeping food down, so we're going to pray for him. All right, we're in this series about the truth about you, and today we're just going to jump right in and fly through several things. The truth about you, number one, on your listening guide, or if you're following along on your uh, smartphone on you version, truth about you, God created you to do a job that only you can do. I'll say that again, God created you to do a job that only you can do. That means if you don't do your job, it does not get done. All right? God created you to do a job that only you can do. If you don't do your job, it doesn't get, it doesn't get done. Now, it's easy to get comfortable and to think. We said this last week. We said that we don't usually tell God never. We tell God not yet. And so a lot of people say, well, someday I'll do something for the kingdom of God. Someday I'll follow God. Someday I'll do something uh, significant with my life. Maybe tomorrow. Not yet. 
Now, if you're a server, though, it's also easy to get discouraged and, and to think that you're not making a difference. From the time of creation until now, things have always started small. I want you to think about, think about Christianity. Jesus started with how many disciples? Twelve. The, the United States of America, how many colonies did they start with? Yeah, I heard that. How many? Thirteen. Thank you. It was not distinct. There was some, you're like, okay. Uh, (laughs) Even in Texas, why do we say remember the Alamo? Was it because of a great victory? (laughs) No, because a group of men stood up to the mighty Mexican army. And even though they were defeated, the, the personality of this state was lit on fire by someone standing up. And then it allowed uh, Sam Houston to come and, and win a great victory and, you know, all of this stuff. We, our, our state um, started from a very small beginning, but it's a, it's a very big thing now. Even with this church, we started with 22 people on, on a Saturday night. And who would have known then, 12 years ago, that today... Um, we'd be 10 times that many sitting in this place. Everything starts small and it gets big. And that's kind of a principle that God built into the world. So we're going to look at two stories very quickly, rapid uh, back-to-back stories that Jesus tells, very short stories that emphasize uh, the way the kingdom of God works. The first one is in Matthew 13, uh, verse 31. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but but becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. So Jesus is saying, the founder of our religion saying, the kingdom of God starts very, very small, but it grows into something very big. Right after that, in verse 33... Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So the founder of our religion is saying that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like just a little bit of yeast. You just put a little bit in. It spreads like wildflowers, wildfire, either one, you you pick. Now, because God created the universe... Big things that take our breath away, the way he designed the universe is it always starts small and it grows into something big. Now, that was in in Matthew chapter 13. Just a few chapters later, Jesus tells this staggering story about if you and I do something for someone that seems insignificant, maybe someone in our society that someone else overlooked, maybe you don't think it it matters a whole lot. Jesus says it does matter. If if other people overlook it, Jesus never misses it. He says, in fact, if you do it to the least of these, he says, you've done it unto me. This is crazy to me. Matthew 25, verses 32 through 40. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, the king's presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply. They don't even realize it. This is, this is awesome. Lord, when did we ever Uh, see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And here's what Jesus says. The King is going to say the King, his father, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers or sisters, you were doing it unto me. Now, since Jesus said these words, I just quick poll. How many of you believe this, that if you do something to the least of the people on the planet, you're doing it unto Jesus. How many of you believe that truth? Come on now, this is crowd participation. 
right? Okay, praise God, it's almost unanimous. We believe it. Now, don't raise your hands. How many of you live your lives in such a way that you demonstrate that principle? How many of you, it's a priority for you to reach out to the under-resourced, to reach out to the special needs, to, to do something for others? How many, don't raise your hands, because I want us to really contemplate this today. This idea that small things make a big difference. In fact, last year in February, I did, this, I did a series called Small Things, Big Difference. I want you to think about doing small things that will make a huge difference and kind of impact this, this point. Um, I've got some guys that have some mustard seeds. Where are you guys? Let's go. Little faster. All right, so what you're going to do, they're going to pass them through. You just pass them up and down the rows, and you take one, all right? They're very small. Just take one, and, and here's what you do. Some of you, you're going to be able to stick them under your fingernail and kind of hold it with a thumb. If you don't, you're going to lose it. Now, if you chew your fingernails, I don't know what to say to you. You're going to swallow a mustard seed, and, and I would love to see it grow out your ears. Like, All right, so let's go, let's go, let's go. It, I, always, I always get nervous about these things because I wonder how long they're going to take. And, and so as you're passing those, <laughs> now you can, you, I want you to hold on to this because symbolically at the end of this servant, I'm going to ask you to plant that seed symbolically, not, not literally. We're going to have tables at the back and we're going to give you opportunities to sign up to do something that may seem insignificant. But I just read you a passage of scripture where Jesus said, the king will say, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And I'm going to talk to you about all kinds of, of possibilities today, but I'm, I'm stalling until everybody gets a seed because my ushers keep talking to each other, and, and uh, actually, it's just Jeff. Jeff is the only one that can't, can't. I know. How come y'all are taking so long? Take two or three. Take two or three. It's okay. Are we really that, only that? Wow. I didn't know we were this challenged. Um, it is Palestine, that's true. <laughs> Who knew that our church was made up of that? Okay. Uh. <laughs> All right, so this seed, how many of you got one? Dude, we're not even a third of the way. If I ever need to kill time, I'm just going to keep all those suckers back there and just say, all right, let's pass these out again. Wow. All right, I don't need to kill time today, so I'm, I'm going to keep moving. Now, here's what we're going to do. At the back, as soon as church is over today, we're going to have all of these sheets spread out. All right? Hush, Jeff. Um, so, he's griping. All right, so I'm going to tell you real quickly what's on some of these sheets where you can sign up, where you can symbolically plant this seed, as in you're going to do something small for the kingdom of God, but we know nothing done for God is wasted. So you can sign up to work with the youth. You'll put your name and your phone number on there. The library, the church has a library that we're getting set up. If you want to work in the bed babies, the toddlers, preschool, first through third grade, preteens, which is fourth through sixth grade, craft angels. How many of you know what a craft angel is? We have a couple of ladies that come up here during the week. And they do stuff for all of our children's ministry. And, and nobody ever sees them but me and Janie. But it impacts every Sunday morning. They make copies for the teachers. They make all of the stuff that they're going to use for their, uh, for their crafts in the, in the uh, children's worship. They do it during the week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. God notices those things. And if that's something that you would like to do, then, then come and be a part of that. You can sign up for that. 
Uh, let's see. Kitchen help. If you want to work on Sunday mornings helping in the kitchen. Wristband helpers. Those of you who know that we have security back here, we have to have somebody every Sunday to put wristbands on. Um, Janie, Janie did some of these, and so she said, we need a storage closet organizer. That's the storage closet right there. If you've ever walked in there, it's possible to get lost in a little 8 by 10 room. It is possible in there. Funeral meal planner. This is a big deal. Some of you are good at cooking meals, but we need somebody that, that will sign up and say, hey, I'll take, if somebody, if there's a loss in the church family, I'll be the one who will uh, organize that. If you're interested in men's Bible study, ladies' Bible study, small groups, uh, clothing giveaway, March 27th and 28th, we do this once or twice a year. We give away clothes in the name of Christ, and we do this uh, specifically for single moms. On Friday night, the 27th, single moms in our church can come out here, and the, and the living room out here will be filled with clothing, all different sizes, clothing for children, clothing for uh, teenagers, for, for moms. Our single moms, members of our church, will come on Friday night and they get first pick. And then Saturday morning we open it up and we'll have, we'll have anywhere from 10 to 30 different families that come and, and they take a trash bag and they just start stuffing them full of, of clothes and they walk out of here blessed because we took things that, that we really don't need. We have an overflow and we give them to other people and it's an incredible ministry. If you want to help set that up, then, then you come on Wednesday or Thursday night before and we'll set up the tables and we organize all of it. And, and literally, it's very difficult to walk in our living room out here because there's so many clothes that you, you all have donated. It's, it's incredible. Uh, let's see. Oh, I think I went the wrong direction. Anyway, I'll mention some more. I've got some st- other stuff in here. Our Hearts in Motion ministry is our new ministry um, uh, food box. And what we want to do, if you are a couponer and you ever get something extra, if, if you can do a buy one, get one free, then it doesn't even cost you anything to share one of those things with, with our uh, food ministry. So on Wednesday nights, uh, Brian and, and Charlotte Swallow are coordinating that ministry, and you can help make boxes. What we want to do is when somebody, when we hear of somebody who has a need, somebody's house burns down or somebody just, you know, may lose their job or somebody's in the hospital, we want to be able to go over there, have boxes just filled with stuff that we can take and bless them in the name of Christ. You can help put those boxes together. You can help donate to that ministry. So you may teach, you may volunteer, all of these different things. Celebrate recovery, you can help with that. We've even got, I was talking to somebody the other day, and and he said to me, he said, I don't know what God wants me to do in the church. He said, I have a unique set of skills. He's he's been in military. And so I told him, I said, well, we're going to have a a gun safety class that's coming up in, in a few weeks. You can help with that. He goes, yeah, actually, I'm pretty good with guns. Um, George is going to do a self-defense class. And, and by the way, guys, if you have somebody in your family that signs up like my girls are coming, you are automatically volunteered to be the dummy that they practice on. All right? So that's part of the deal. You get, they got to have somebody to practice on. How, how self-defense is going to help them if they don't have some dummy to practice on? All right? So my girls are going to get to beat me up. And, and in the name of Jesus. But if you want to help with that, that's something that we'll tell you about and, and you, can, you can help. Um, you may want to sign up to be a part of cleaning up our 38 acres. We're praying about what we're going to do. We want to plant some trees out there. We're going to have to do some work to get that ready. That may be right up your alley, something that you want to do. And you want, you want to be on the planning team that prays for and discerns what God wants us to do out there. Uh, you may, for the first time in your life, begin giving financially to a church. Now, um, some people say, do you know how little I have? And, and let me just tell you this. This is the principle of the kingdom of God. The size of your gift doesn't matter. What you give doesn't matter. What matters to God is that you give. There was a guy in this church, in this building one time, 
we were talking about this and, and he came up to me and they'd lived in another city in a massive church is where they went. And they said, we never gave a dime to that church where we were there. They were there for years. He said, because while we were in the church, we looked around, and we said, this church is rich. They don't need my money. And I said, are you kidding me? God doesn't need your money. You give not necessarily to fund the kingdom of God. You give because money, what, what's in this thing right here? very much your heart. And God knows that, that if you are consumed with money, you can't possibly be consumed with him. The Bible says where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. You can, you can turn that around and you can say where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where you, you can find out what, what matters to people by where their money goes. I want my wife to know that she's a priority to me. So I spend money on my wife. I spend money on my kids. I always give to the kingdom of God because I want, I know that my feelings will follow where the money goes. Now, (laughs) I'm not sure how you're to plant your seed. Everybody got a seed now, right? Praise God. (laughs) I'm not sure how you're going to plant your seed, but I believe everybody in here, God wants to use you to plant that seed somewhere. There's an opportunity for you to minister somewhere. And the reason I know that is because God wants to use every one of his children. And if you're saying, I'm an unlikely person for God to use, you are the exact person that God wants to use. Because the more unlikely it is that God will use you, the more God gets the glory for using you. Now, I'm going to show you a story today, and you want to talk about unlikely, all right? If you think you're unlikely to be used in the kingdom of God, the people that God uses in this story are a hundred steps below you. And when they decided to obey God and be used by God, God brought a staggering salvation for an entire city. Now, let me tell you the truth about this. The truth about Samaria, we're going to read about this city in Samaria, is they were under a famine, and and you'll see why in a minute. When we read the scripture, you'll understand why there was a famine. But it was a famine more severe than any of them had ever suffered through before. And and prices, uh, food was selling for prices that were so high, it was basically like taking out a loan to buy a loaf of bread. And I want you to notice the cost of two items that nobody in their right mind would consider food. But when you're in a famine, suddenly things that we wouldn't consider food become food. Here it is in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 24. Sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad, if you want a name for your son, there's a great name, Ben-Hadad. That one's, that one's right up there with Boutros, Boutros Gali. Y'all remember when he was the head of the UN? Maybe not. King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. All right, 80 shekels is almost a year's salary for a donkey's head. How many of you want to go down to Don Mario and say, hey, can I have donkey head burrito, please? No? Five shekels... For bird dung. Just five shekels. I need, I need 12 bowls of bird poop because I got some people I want to share some bird poop with, right? This is a severe famine. Food was unthinkable to put in the category of food was selling for prices of a small house. That's how desperate the people were. No food in the city and the enemy outside the city. And that was the strategy of the king of Aram. Because if you've got the resources, 
why not wait it out? You don't have to sacrifice any men. Just wait until they starve, and they'll eventually surrender. That's what he wanted to do. Now, good strategy if you've got the time and the resources. Verse 26. One day as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called to him, please help me, my lord, the king. Now, you got to understand, the king would walk along the wall for a reason, because the wall was what protected someone. And it was, it was big, it was thick, and it was what protected you from the enemy. So the king would get up on the wall, he would walk around to show his people that he was still in charge. It was kind of to, to settle the people inside the city, because they would see the king walking, oh, the king's in charge, he's okay. The other thing was to see what was going on outside. You could get an idea of the enemy because they didn't have drones. They didn't have satellite imaging. And so he would be seeing what the enemy was doing. You want to know what the enemy was doing? They were getting fat and happy. They're eating and drinking and having a great time out there. And in the middle of his walking around, a woman comes to him with a problem. And she says, my my Lord, the King, please help me. Because she didn't have 80 shekels. She didn't have almost a year's salary for a donkey's head. She didn't even have a handful of shekels for bird poop. Here's what the king says. He answered, if the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? Now, this sounds really, really uh, spiritual, and it's not. This guy was far from God, and I'll show you that in a second. But he says, if the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? I have neither food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. But then the king asked, what is the matter? She replied, this woman said to me, come on, let's eat your son today. Then we will eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said to her, kill your son so we can eat him. But he has hidden her son. She has hidden her son. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. As the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing burlap under his robe next to his skin. This story didn't make the little flannel graph stories in my Sunday school class when I was growing up. Never heard this one when I was a kid. This is, a, this is an adult story. And it's an unbelievable, staggering need that the people had. And, and see, to me, it's real obvious that this king and the people were far from God because no God-fearing person would ever consider eating their own child. Makes me want to vomit. It makes your heavenly father want to vomit as well. So even though the king says, well, it's the Lord, you know, the Lord will have to, he, he had no belief in God. They were hopeless. They were, were helpless, desperate, far from God. And then in chapter 7, there's a twist in the story. And, and I love telling you this, two or three times a year I say this, Hollywood couldn't make up this twist. It, it is so crazy. The king decides he's going to blame the only uh, religious leader that they know of at the time, Elisha, was the prophet. And so the king, he, he's so upset that this woman ate her child, uh, that's a bad deal. And he says, God help me if I don't remove Elisha's head from his body today. Severe famine. Let's blame the messenger of God. Because we may be kind of scared to blame God. And it's kind of a funny story. You need to read all of this. Because he sends messengers. And, and Elisha, man, he was a bold man of God. Elisha told his servant, he said, close the door, hold him out. Because his master will come after him. Well, then the king shows up. And, and the king says, finally says, I think, I think God's doing this. And Elisha goes, yeah. And watch what, watch what Elisha tells, tells him. First, he predicts something incredible through Elisha. Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver and 10 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Now, let me, let me just share a couple of things. 
One difference in Christianity, there's major differences in Christianity and every other world religion. One difference is that Christianity does not dress things up and try to make us look better than we are. We are messed up people, and the Bible tells it that we are messed up people. Other religions, they, they try to dress up their people. For example, Muhammad, Muhammad was not even a moral person, and he's the founder of a, of a world religion. And they'll even acknowledge that Jesus was a prophet, but Muhammad was greater than him. And they'll even acknowledge that, that Muhammad couldn't do miracles, but Jesus could do miracles. And I'm going, hello, if Jesus could do miracles, he seems to me he's better than your prophet. He wasn't, Muhammad wasn't even moral. Joseph Smith, the founder of, of uh, Mormonism, was not even a moral man. He had at least 40-something wives by the time he died. Many of them he shared with the people in his church. If you can't trust the man at the head of the organization, how can you trust the organization that comes after them? Charles Taz Russell, the man who started Jehovah's Witnesses, he had no biblical background. He was 18 years old. He decided he didn't like the idea of hell, so he created this whole religious system that talked about heaven but no hell. And then when he translated the scriptures, he said he told people that these scriptures were translated by Greek scholars, Hebrew and Greek scholars. And when people who were Hebrew and Greek scholars tried to find the people who translated his translation, the New World Translation, the Jehovah's Witnesses Translation, they couldn't be found because they don't exist because the man lied. So Christianity, we tell it like it is. God says, we need a savior. And there's nothing we can do about it. Now, the second thing is... A lot of people like to blame the messenger. A lot of people like to blame the preacher for the reason they're living a godless life. Or they like to blame their parents, or they like to blame their spouse, or they like to blame their kids, or they like to blame their boss. Now, here's the problem. You can go to another church, and, and there's legitimate reasons to go to another church. All right, Many of you came from another church, and I thank God for you. But let me just tell you this. If you go to another church... If you get a different spouse, if you get a different set of children, if you get a different boss, there's one thing in common in all of those scenarios. You know what it is? You! So maybe today you need to look in the mirror. The mirror of God's word. And say, God, show me the real me. Because I'm not going to get better pretending that it's someone else's problem. Now, enter the first plot twist. I'll get off my high horse. This is an awesome plot twist. There were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they ask each other. This is how God works when people who should be doing their job don't do their job in the, in the kingdom of God. He takes people who should not be heroes and he makes them heroes. And, and here's, here's why. Why does God work like this? Three reasons came to my mind as I was thinking about this this week. First of all, God takes people who shouldn't be heroes, makes them heroes to show his incredible power. The Bible says that he takes weak things to shame those who are strong. He takes unwise things to shame those who are wise. He says that, that wise people are actually foolish compared to him, and, and God wants to show his power. So he takes people who are unlikely, and he makes them heroes of the story. Second reason, to humble the proud. Because the king should have been the one bowing before God. The king should have been one used by God to bring this great salvation. But because the king did not walk with God, God chose four lepers. And he humbles the proud. And, and the third thing I put down was to set himself apart from any other God in history. And by the way, when I say any other God, the other gods are lowercase g. There is only one uppercase g. His name is Jehovah God, the creator of all that we are all that we have, all that is in existence. 
He's not like any other God. He has more power. We sang about it. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger, higher than any other. Do you believe it? I hope you do. See, these were people, these lepers were people who'd been banished. And and if you know anything about their society, people were afraid of their disease because they didn't know how they got it. And and just they, they, things would begin to fall off. They would, they would lose the feeling in their fingers and they would use their fingers and, and parts of the fingers would fall off. They would have itches on their nose. They would scratch their nose and they wouldn't be able to feel it. And eventually parts of their nose would fall off. Parts of their face would fall off. People were afraid of them. So they did not get to live in the city. They lived outside the city. They depended on the people inside the city to give them leftovers. Here's the problem. The people inside the city, even the ones with money, couldn't afford even a donkey's head to eat. So how could they give leftovers to the beggars outside the city? So they're thinking, if we stay inside, if we stay here next to this city, we're going to die. If we go out there to the enemy, we're probably going to die. If we go this way, we die. That way, we die. What, what the heck? We've got nothing to lose. So after the sun went down, they decide to go to the enemy camp. This is just crazy. Understatement of the day. Understatement of the day. What they discovered at the enemy camp was not what they were expecting. Second plot twist. The Bible tells us that uh, in the middle of the night before the lepers came, the Lord sent this sound like a mighty marching army. (laughs) This is comical to me. Because trained warriors been sitting on their rears, eating, drinking, having a great time, probably telling all kinds of jokes. All of a sudden, hear what they think is an army. They jump up and head for the hills. They've got their battle gear on. They're probably stripping as they're going, get out of my way. Because, you know, if you're out in the woods and you're running from a bear, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your friend because they'll catch the friend first. And so I can just see these warriors and I'm, I'm praying, God, please have, I used to say DVR, but it's really a GVR. It's a God video recorder. God, please have a GVR in heaven so I can see the not top, the not top 10 plays of your enemies. I love not top plays. My girls hate ESPN. If I turn ESPN, it's like this repellent. It's like a chick repellent at my house. They're gone. But if I watch not top plays, because it's men looking stupid. Right? Professionals, they make money. And, you know, they, they clang the ball off the, back, uh, off the back of the rim and it goes, you know, the other end. There was one last night where there was a pass and the defender defends the pass and it goes off his hand and it, and it goes through the basket for the other team. My girls will watch not temp- top plays and I would love to see this because this has to be one of the not top plays. Trained killers running for the hills trying to outrun their neighbor so that their neighbor gets caught and they don't. Y'all don't think that's funny. So our heroes come in and when the heroes walk up the four lepers, the camp is completely deserted. Food still warm, drink still there, all kinds of gold and silver and army equipment. What do you think they did first? Eight, duh, there was a famine. What do you think they did second? Well, okay. I was counting those together, but all right, you, you literalists. Maybe they drank and then they ate. Okay. What do you think they did third? Treasure. The Bible says they went from tent to tent, gathering everything they could have, and they would go out and they would bury it in the sand. They would come back and they'd do it again. They'd do it again. And then the third plot twist. Bellies full, wallets full. They stopped and they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. God has blessed us and he's providing salvation today. We got to go back and tell the city. Are you kidding me? Diseased, outcast. 
sentenced to die with other diseased outcast people. See, they even had to yell out unclean. And they had to do it from a certain distance. So if you were to walk in their vicinity and they didn't call out unclean, they could be killed on the spot and left to, to rot and die right there. Nobody would even bother to bury them. If they did, they would drag them out and they would put them on a heap and burn them. They decide to share because, because they could have said, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, right? What would you have done if you were them? Can I tell you, I think I know what many of you would do in their situation. You do exactly what you're doing now. And you would hoard everything that God has given you that's supposed to be a blessing to others. I said, some of you, Doug, that's so harsh. This is supposed to be a feel-good time. How dare you call me to church and, and, and tell me something that doesn't make me feel good. You want to feel good, watch Joel Osteen. Dude doesn't talk about sin. His messages are very positive. He will never tell you about sin. Compare Joel Osteen's messages to Jesus Christ. People didn't walk away from Jesus necessarily feeling good about themselves because Jesus was the light of the world. People felt good because Jesus loved them and told them the truth. Not because it was, oh, if you have enough faith... You can drive this Cadillac. See, because read Hebrews chapter 11 where it talks about the heroes of the faith and the first part of it is awesome. And then you get to the last five, six, eight, ten verses and it says, some people were sawn in two for for the gospel. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them lost their entire families for the cause of Christ. That doesn't sound like a feel good message to me, but it says, but they understood that our reward in heaven was greater than the stuff that we suffer on this planet. You see, a lot of people are saying, my time is my time. You should just feel good. You should be excited that I come to church once every six months. Praise God. How hard is it to get to church at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning? We're even on Easter, we're going to do two services. We're going to do a 10 o'clock and 1130. And we're going to ask some of you to come to the early service. And then we're going to ask some of you that come to the early service to go work in the second service because it's a massive crowd that day and we need people back in the back. Some people say, well, you know, um, my talents, they're for me. Some people say, well, my money, it's for me. It's all mine. Here's the thing. The breath, the next breath you breathe is a gift to you from God. And at any moment, he can snuff out your life. Bible says there's a sin that leads to death. It doesn't tell us exactly what that is. But in my lifetime, I have seen some people that I believe God gave them chance after chance after chance after chance. And there was a sin that led to the end of their lives. We got to get serious about this thing called Christianity. And words are cheap. Actions are what matter. Now, these lepers, they didn't do that. They realized their cups were running over and they did the right thing after a time and went back. And let me read you this. I'm going to finish this up. I know we're, it's 12 o'clock. In 24 hours, well, let me tell you the last thing. God uses unlikely people. That's on your listening guide. In 24 hours, exactly what Elisha said, the man of God said, happened. Let's read it. 
Uh, well, the lepers went back, told them they thought it was a, a trap. And so they sent out spies. The spies come back, eyes wide, and they go, it's just like the lepers said. And then all the people run out of the city. And in 24 hours, the price is dropped. Here's what it says in, in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 17. The king appointed his officer to control the traffic at the gate, but he was knocked down and trampled to death as the people rushed out. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. The man of God had said to the king, by this time tomorrow, the markets of Samaria, five quarts of choice flour will cost one piece of silver. And 10 quarts of barley grain will cost one piece of silver. The king's officer had replied, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. Oh, what an idiot. And it's recorded for us. And the man of God had said, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. And so it was for the people trampled him to death at the gate. There was an old um, bumper sticker back in the day that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That is so wrong. Because whether you believe it or not doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. God said it, that settles it. See, my dad came to Christ in a foxhole as he was being bombed by the Japanese on Guadalcanal. And my daddy told me, he said, son, there is no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. When, when your life is on the line, all of a sudden you start believing in higher power. So you can tell me all of this stuff that you're an atheist and whatever. Well, all that means, all that an atheist means is that you believe more in yourself than you believe in another power. Excuse me. There's no such thing as an atheist when it comes to death. Because I've watched Christians die and I've watched atheists die. Christians are ready to go meet Jesus. Atheists are freaked out because they're not sure what happens next. We're told. They just didn't believe it. And the truth of this story, here's where I want you to see this. The truth of this story is this is the gospel. God looked down and he said, People have this need, and there's no way they can meet that need. And so God sent an unlikely hero to pay for our need. Unlikely, because it was his son, and nobody could figure out what God looked like. I still don't know what God looks like, other than the Bible says that Jesus was the exact representation of God. And nobody, even if you could believe God was going to put on flesh and become a human, nobody could believe he would be born of peasants in a manger, laid in a manger in a feeding trough for animals. Nobody, nobody saw that coming. But God chose to start with that very small beginning to offer this incredible salvation for you and for me if we'll only reach out and believe it. And, and some, of you, some of you serve week in and week out because of your gratitude for God saving your heart, for saving your soul. And we could not do church every week without you. Some of you serve sporadically, and that's okay, but just imagine if you were to plug in. Just imagine where our church could be one year from now if all of us decided to jump in and make this massive pull in the same direction. What could God do in New Life Community Church? What could God do in Palestine? And here's the thing. It's not just Palestine. We got people driving from LaRue. We got people driving from Tyler. We got people driving from all over. Within driving distance of this church, what could God do if all of us said, my life is not my life. It belongs to God. Because scripture's clear. Your body does not belong to you if you're a Christian. Your body does not belong to you because you've been bought with a price. So let's offer it back to God. The Bible says living sacrifices of what God is after. Bow your heads for just a moment. Father, what a wonder when you made the universe the way you did, to, that, that small things turn into big things with your power. 
God, I pray that, that people here would realize that, that pouring into the life of a kid week after week is something that matters to you. Showing up for somebody who is um, somebody who's elderly, that matters to you. God, I pray that, that we take seriously our salvation and that we turn around and serve you for the rest of our lives. Because if, if this church doesn't matter, if, if the kingdom of God doesn't matter, we're wasting our time. But if Jesus is who he said he was, and if he died to establish this church as the bride of Christ, then we better take it seriously. So God, as we leave this place today, it's my prayer that people will plant those seeds. What may be insignificant to them right now, could have ripple effects that change the destinies of children and teenagers for decades to come. Help us to be that kind of church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.